from Earth, it's Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, and coming up, we're talking about coronavirus, ain't stopping astronomy, and of course, taking listener questions about all things in this universe, because that's what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can follow along online or leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about listening to scientists is hard. But first, the news. Hey, space cadets, welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute, and for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. We've got an amazing show ready to go for you today. And if it's above the Earth's atmosphere, it's in this show's universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here in Spaceman Studios in locked down New York City. So leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com to get yourself on the air. You can also follow along with our socially distant space cadets tuning in live from around the world, including but not limited to Austin, Texas, Warren, Missouri, Warsaw, Poland, Washington, D.C., New Smyrna, Florida, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, South, somewhere in South America, Darmstadt, Germany, Oslo, Norway, Athens, Greece, and Pell City, Alabama. And hey, coming in at the last second, Tucson, Arizona. Love Tucson. We will take questions that the space cadets send because you know what? I have prepped less than 10 minutes of show material tops. If you don't send questions, I'll have a show and we just end it early. And then Greg just fills the rest of the program with music selections of his choice. And nobody wants that. I promise. I went to a house party that Greg hosted once. And yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Get those questions in. Before I start taking questions, I want to share some interesting bits of news that I caught recently. And... I don't know if any of you have heard, there's this thing called the novel coronavirus running around the world doing its usual virulent thing, making people sick and unfortunately taking some people's lives. And governments around the world and societies around the world are taking measures to prevent the spread and mitigate the damage, including work from home measures, eliminating gatherings, just trying to limit interpersonal contact so that we can limit the spread of the disease. And yes, that is impacting the field of astronomy. Astronomers maybe don't have it as bad off as some other fields. The biggest impact in astronomy is the cancellation of almost every, not almost every single conference for the next few months. This is a very busy season for astronomy. This is where a lot of young students are finally showing up at their first meetings presenting their first results, making a name for themselves. I was supposed to go to a conference in Japan next month. That was canceled. And that conference featured a lot of young scientists presenting their work. And so now it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this has a long-term impact on the field when a bunch of young and early career researchers don't get to do the normal things that they get to do. Conferences are canceled 
collaboration meetings are canceled. Of course, there's a lot of remote work and most universities are shutting down, switching to remote learning. The vast majority of classes that are taught at a college or university are not designed for remote learning. You don't just like switch your webcam on and give your lecture and everything's a-okay. Doesn't work that way. So faculty, professors, lecturers are scrambling to put together courses so they can still educate students. And that is just sucking up an enormous amount of time. So if you see a pause for the next year or two in astronomy and generally scientific research, you know why. But that doesn't mean astronomy is going to stop. And that doesn't mean you still can't enjoy astronomy, especially if you're stuck at home under quarantine quarantine or shelter in place or just general social distancing, a lot of resources are coming online like the virtual observatories, like the SLU Planetarium, like my friends uh, Fraser Kane and Pamela Gay. They're doing live streams like crazy. They're doing educational courses. They are providing content for you, for your family so that you know what's going on. I'm going to put some links in the show notes, go to spaceradioshow.com to get those links to online resources where you can keep up to date with astronomy, where you can turn this if, if your kids are not going to school for the next year or something or however it's going to fall out they can still learn a lot about the way the universe works. And it's going to be a very non-traditional, very informal education. But hey, our ancestors managed to do it for thousands of years, so I think we might make it through. So use this opportunity to connect with the night sky, to connect with astronomy, to, to teach some lessons that have been passed down for generations throughout humanity and Use this opportunity as as horrible as it is, as hard as it is, as difficult it is as it is. Use this opportunity to to connect with your ancestors, with your family, with your loved ones in a way that maybe you wouldn't have had the opportunity to before. We are not going anywhere on space radio because you know what? We broadcast out of what is my home office, aka Spaceman Studios, and. It's that's it for the news. I really want to get to your questions. I've had so many questions. Let's just do it. We've got voicemails, loads of voicemails from around the world ready to go. I feel like this is going to be a voicemail heavy episode and that's just the way it is. And people are curious. People are hungry for knowledge, even in difficult times. We still want to know how the universe works, which is a very beautiful thing. So Greg... You've got one of the tapes lined up. Why don't you play it? Yes. Hi, Paul. This is um, like this is Frank. I live in um, Lower Manhattan. Uh, yes. I'm in- interested in um, the size of the my universe. And supposedly, um, I remember Alan uh, Guth speaking about the um, that we know that the flattening of the um, space time, uh, flattening of the my universe. It's flat because it's so many, uh, so many times like greater than we, um, than the, what we, uh, like what we see. It, I mean, but it seems that they don't really know in any any way how like large the universe is. Is there any any way they can 
try to find out um, how like great the universe is. I mean, why it seems very, you know, there's it could be. They said I remember um, uh, someone saying it could be thousands of times what our visible universe is, or it could be um, it was infinite. Uh, how, is there any any way that we can like, find it? This is Frank. Um, thanks a lot, Paul. Thank you, Frank, for that amazing question. Hope you're doing okay in Lower Manhattan. This is a wonderful question about the size of the universe. Short version. We have no idea how big the universe is. Okay, long version. It is large. It is significantly large. How do we know it's big? Because the universe appears geometrically flat. Your backyard looks flat. So the the earth itself is curved, right? It has a horizon, it's round and everything, but your backyard looks flat because your backyard is so small compared to the entire size of the earth. So imagine if all you had access to was your backyard. Imagine trying to measure the size of the earth from just your backyard. We have our universe, we have the observable bubble in our universe, what we can access, what we can study. It is a small patch of the much larger universe. And the much larger universe outside of our observable bubble is completely and totally 100% inaccessible to us and will be forever. So the only thing we have to go on when it comes to the size of the universe is theoretical estimates based on our understanding of the early universe, the evolution of the universe, And all we got there is that it's big. It's big. The true size of the universe is at least 10 to the 62 times bigger than our observable patch. And it could be, that's on the small side. On the big side, it could be infinitely big. So it's somewhere between incredibly large and infinitely large. Other than that, we have no clue. We do know how big the observable universe is, 92 billion light years across, but the true universe is much, much larger than that. And it's getting bigger every day. We got another voicemail. Hit it, Greg, go. Hi, Paul. Uh, My question's about black holes. So if black holes can radiate mass slowly away through Hawking radiation, would it be possible for them to eventually radiate enough mass away that they'd no longer be black holes? And what would happen? Like, what would be there after they turn back into matter that we can see? Would they, like, turn back into neutron stars? Or would they turn back into something that that could show us what's really going on inside of black holes? And um, it just seems to me like if these objects were possible, we might want to look for them for clues on what's going on inside the black holes that we can't see into yet thank you oh that was such a fun question we are approaching a break so i'm gonna tease you if you want the answer to what happens to black holes when they evaporate you have to keep on the air keep online i will answer at the break remember you are listening to space radio and i am paul sutter this show is brought to you by you go to patreon.com slash pm sutter i know these are difficult and uncertain times but any contribution you can make does keep this program on the air and keep Keep all this edumacation going. That's patreon.com slash PM Sutter, and I will see you after the break. Support for Space Radio on 90.5 WCBE comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. 
Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work. Predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at ThompsonHine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got more questions ready to go, but remember, you can join the conversation by leaving an online voicemail or by joining the conversation directly wherever you are in the world. Go to spaceradioshow.com for all those links. Now, before the break, we had a question about what happens to black holes when they evaporate. Do they turn into something else? Can we learn something about it, etc., etc.? First off, for those of you who are not aware, we believe, thanks to the work of Stephen Hawking, that black holes are not entirely, strictly, 100% technically black. They're a little, 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 little bit glowy. They do through some very complicated quantum mechanics that I'm not even going to bother going into right now. They do leak a little. They do emit particles. They do emit radiation. And as they emit radiation or particles, they get smaller. They get smaller and smaller, and then the smaller they get, the faster they radiate. And then they get even smaller, and then they radiate more and smaller, and and then boom, 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 and then they eventually disappear. So that's as far as we understand the ultimate end journey of a black hole, is that it radiates away into nothingness. It stays a black hole the whole time, just a smaller and smaller black hole until it poofs out of existence. This process takes a little bit of a long time. For a typical black hole, it emits somewhere around one photon every year. That's one bit of light every single year. So the lifetime of a black hole is somewhere around 10 to 100 years. Current age of the universe is around 10 to the 10 billion years. So we are mm, a little bit far away from seeing the lifetime of black holes. What they ultimately turn into when they get very small and really poof away, we honestly don't know. There's going to be some complicated physics happening there that we don't fully understand yet. That's why we are one of the reasons why we're so interested in this thing called Hawking radiation, because this is telling us about new physics that we currently don't understand. So we can't, unfortunately, we can't wait around to see any black holes evaporate in person. We're just going to have to do it through the math, and the math is really thorny. So a lot of questions today with answers summing up as we have no idea. And what a wonderful place to be because that means astronomers still have job security. You know what? Let's do another voicemail. You got that one from Steve, Greg? Let's do it. Do it. Hi, Paul. It's Steve from Aberdeen, Scotland. First of all, I'd like to offer heartfelt thanks on behalf of all the space cadets for your comprehensive and clear explanations. You've been answering questions which have been itching my brain for decades. So here's another thought experiment. My brother and I live in the void. One day, we have an argument and I decide to get away from him at close to the speed of light. Then I return to him. From my brother's perspective, 50 years passed and he's now an old man. But thanks to time dilation, I've aged only one year. The question is this. There is no absolute frame of reference in the universe. Without an external point of reference, all that's happened is that my brother and I separated at close to the speed of light and then came back together. If there is no absolute frame of reference, 
how does the universe know which one of us moved? Thanks again, Paul. Wow, really, really fun question, Steve, and thank you so much for the compliment. I hope the Space Cadets have as much fun as I do doing these episodes. I love hearing your questions. I love hearing what you're curious about. I love hearing where your minds go and what you want to know. And so this show, doing this show is absolutely entertaining to me. But to get to your question, Steve, this is something that's called the twin paradox. Because as you rightly pointed out, when one twin, you have two twins or one twin of consisting of two people the same age one goes near the speed of light their clock slows down and when they come back they have barely aged at all while their twin that was on the earth or on the planet is now at some really advanced age this comes about through our knowledge of special relativity and the fact that moving clocks run slow the faster you move in space the slower you move in time that's not the paradox that's actually not the weird part the weird part is exactly what you pointed out which is wait a minute from my perspective on the rocket ship blasting through space, I'm staying still and it's the universe that's moving. My twin is moving, it's receding away from me and then the twin is coming close to me. You're right. How does the universe know which of the twins of you and your brother have moved and which one has stayed put? How do we know which one is older because of exactly what you pointed out? Here's the thing. You came back. You left traveling at close to the speed of light, but then you slowed down, you stopped, you turned around, you re-accelerated, and then you returned to your starting point at nearly the speed of light. This sequence of events, this decision to turn around, to slow down, stop, and turn around broke the symmetry. The universe was able to tell who went fast because one of you changed velocities. One of you decelerated, changed your direction, and came back. So once that happened, the equality of perspectives in the universe between you and your brother of which one's standing still and which one is moving was broken because you decided that you loved your brother and that you wanted to come back and apologize and mend those tears in your relationship because of your kind-heartedness, because of your love, your fraternal love, the universe was able to figure out which one of you was doing the moving and which one of you was staying put. And therefore, your brother has spent decades alone thinking that he'll never see you again while you have only spent or a day or two. So I've you probably have a lot of catching up to do and a lot to talk about, but I'll leave that to the two of you. Great question, Stephen. Before we go, I do want to do one space cadet question. What do we got? Orson Zed on YouTube is asking, he's learned that the Earth has at least one Trojan asteroid. What are the difficulties involved in finding more? Great question, Orson. A Trojan asteroid, by the way, for those of you who don't know, is a bit of space rock that follows or leads the Earth on its orbit. So it shares the orbit of the Earth with the Sun, but it's either ahead of us or behind us. We do have a couple, I think, 
They are so hard to find. They are so hard to find because generally they are small. Generally, they are not very shiny or reflective. And generally, they are very, very far away. And these, this is a triple threat to make you hard to find with telescopes. We can only see these asteroids either by reflected sunlight or by bouncing radio signals off them ourselves. Thank you to all the space cadets and the callers for those amazing questions. We're almost out of time to dance space radio, but before we go, it's time for the blue shift. I'm Paul Sutter and you're listening to space radio. And this is the blue shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And I just want to point out uh, that as we are dealing with the coronavirus epidemic, pandemic, uh, in some countries, thankfully, are reporting a slowdowns and stop in spread of growth. Uh, China, South Korea are We're getting a lot of encouraging news from them. So it seems like we know what to do uh, in Europe and North America to to deal with this. Um, Scientists are giving a lot of recommendations. Experts are giving a lot of recommendations. A lot of these recommendations seem counterintuitive. A lot of these recommendations seem hard to swallow. The entire enterprise of science is designed to help us do things that are against our natural human inclinations. Science is difficult for the exact reasons that we invented science in the first place. It's so easy to come into the world, to look at the world with preconceived notions, with biases, with assumptions. And it's so easy to filter our view of the world with those biases and preconceived notions already in our heads so that we end up only seeing the things we want to see. We only end up paying attention to the things that confirm what we already believe. Science as an institution was invented. It was designed to get around that so we could get a better and more accurate, more realistic view of the universe and the natural workings of the universe without those biases or by by getting through our biases and our filters and our preconceived notions and the mistakes our brains like to make. So... As we're dealing with something like coronavirus, I can only recommend that when scientists say something, it is based on the evidence. And yes, what they recommend can change with time because the evidence can change with time. What we know and what we understand can change with time. And so yes, scientists may say something one week and then say something else another week. It's that's because there's been new data. That's the whole point. The data, the evidence, what's actually happening in the real world guides our conclusions as scientists. And that must change because we're always getting new data all the time. It seems strange. It's counterintuitive. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to follow. But that is exactly the point. 
And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Visit patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio, that's 90.5 FM in Columbus, for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit Space Radio Show com for all the info links to the live stream locations and how to get on the air join the space cadets all that thanks again space cadets for listening see you next week and remember science is for sharing end of transmission